Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily. Your daily dose of all things Premier League related. And to do that, my name is Ant McGinley. I'm ably assisted uh, by two very fine, upstanding football fans. I have uh, Joel Tudor, who is a Man United fan. Good morning. Just managed to swim back <laughs> home from the office. Yeah, there's been a little bit of rain, if you're not in the UK, over here uh, overnight in the last couple of days. And uh, also joining us, uh, somebody who hasn't experienced European football for a little while, but will be hoping to do so in, in the coming years. Uh, it's Marley Anderson, Newcastle United fan. Hello, yeah. Well, Swansea and Cardiff are in uh, are in Europe, technically, aren't they? So <laughs> I'm hoping a, a British Cup comes in so I can uh, see pastures new. Yeah, well, they're in Wales, and according to the new FIFA, technically that's the rest of world. Well, yeah, there you go. Put Wrexham. Yeah, yeah. So that, that that does make it truly international. So today uh, we're going to talk about several different issues. Um, in the second part, we're going to chat about uh, the. Return, well, it's not really return because it's never really gone, but COVID is once again affecting football in the UK. Uh, we may also take a quick look at some of the interesting transfer gossip that's popped its head up. But first of all, uh, we're going to reflect on another night of a Champions League action. It was the final uh, round of group games, and Chelsea and United have wrapped up their campaigns with draws, both going through. Let's start. At Old Trafford, uh, Ralph Rangnick uh, tried out some new players, uh, giving debuts to players new and old, including 35-year-old Tom Heaton, who uh, made his debut for Manchester United. But all that to one side, uh, should they still be beating a side like young boys who, on throughout the whole campaign here, have taken four points off United in those two games? So you're our resident United fan for today, Joel. Uh, your feelings on the game obviously it was something of an opportunity for for the new gaffer to have a look at the squad and he really did do that didn't he yeah i mean it was a dead rubber game wasn't it the groups secured prior to the game so there was no kind of issues on 
his selection. I think he just wanted to experiment, like you said, and it was quite good to see because there was nine academy graduates in that squad uh, yesterday, which is you know typical of how United side has, has always been in the previous years, even under Ferguson as well. Um, and it just makes a big difference, you know, considering last year. We were scraping and hoping for that last game of the group stages with so much pressure away to Leipzig and we ended up just capitulating big time. Um, so it makes a nice difference that this time round we were able to just go into the game, see what kind of squad players are looking good, uh, what upcoming youngsters are coming through. And you know what, in all honesty, it was a pretty bad game in terms of the performance. I could have probably only picked out five four or five players who were decent yesterday um but i think that's to be expected because you know i kind of think well if if for example manchester city were playing these and they played their youngsters and their kind of outcast i think they probably would wipe the floor with the young boy with young boys but that's just because pep's been there for a while and he's implemented his style pretty thoroughly throughout the club whereas with ran nick he's literally had what four training sessions if that um so it's not enough time to really get his ideas across as much as he'd like to but i think it was just a really good opportunity especially for the likes of ahmad who's barely had a kick of the ball since he's been at the club um alongside you know mata lingard elanga um but i think the most impressive one out of the lot and i think he's miles ahead of all of them is mason greenwood um, I thought his goal was absolutely unbelievable. His finish, it just, he just reminds me of a gener- an, um, a carbon copy of Van Persie. He's just, the way he manages to find space, he's not, he's, he's just a very clever player in the box. And I think even though he's very good on the wing as kind of that right forward type position, um, ultimately I think he he can do an amazing job as a striker just because he has so much pace and so much technical ability I kind of put him in the bracket of the strikers with you know the best technical ability in the world for me is probably Lewandowski just because he could probably play as an attacking midfielder he's got that good of ability on the ball I think um, Rangnick said after the game that his technical ability is at such a high level but he just needs to improve his improve his uh, athleticism a little bit but I think that'll come with age because he is only 20 and he's showing some amazing signs but yeah the, the I mean the side was very disjointed I mean you had Eric Bay and Nemanja Matic in defence which is <laughs> not the typical pairing that you would select but I think yeah either way we, we probably still should have beat them but then on the other hand it was a game that had no meaning to it uh, it was very windy very cold very wet it wasn't like the best conditions um, and yeah, it was a good chance to see, obviously, I think um, Savage and Iqbal came on, which were two very young guys coming from the academy as well. Um, so I think it was just nice to see. I think it was nice for the fans to see. It was a good positive lift after the last three weeks of just mayhem and carnage going on behind the scenes and a lot of changing and swapping around. So I think, yeah, for this occasion, it's just a case of just having a run out. Randnick can see exactly what he's got on his hands in terms of who we may have to rely on should we have some injuries in the squad with this upcoming really busy fixture list. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there were some players that made a good account of themselves, but there were also some that probably didn't. For example, Donny van der Beek, I think, could have done way better given his opportunity, though he did play in that number six, which I don't think is his position. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's, it was just a, it's a final game, dead rubber game. And I didn't really expect much else to come from it, to be honest.
So it's an opportunity for uh, Ralph Ragnick to look at uh, so, some of the players that were available in the squad. Uh, Newcastle, with all their millions, or should we say billions, Marley? I'm not quite sure what the technical <laughs> term is. Uh, just uh, all the money in the world. All the money in the world, yeah. So uh, you've already been linked to quite a few uh, Man United players, uh, especially the likes of Lingard and Henderson himself as well. Um, any, anybody that you saw last night that you think Newcastle might think, oh, they'd come and do a job for us? No, I thought, uh, other than, than Greenwood, I thought Man United were pretty poor. I thought Henderson looked a little bit dodgy. I think there was one point where he came out sort of outside his goal, mm-hmm. took a weird touch and had to to slam it clear um, like you know like the sort of sweeper keeper role um, he didn't look that comfortable in that um, a few others I just thought Man United were really disjointed which you can you can expect with like a, a sort of fringe slash second team that uh, that you put out but there was so many mistakes from Man United everywhere like Mata was making mistakes Van der Beek made, made the mistake for, for young boys as equaliser um, I thought Wamba Cycle was poor. Um, it there was just Matic was absolutely horrendous at centre back as well. It looked like he played. If I think if Matic was in Soccer Aid, he'd have got outplayed by like Ben Shepherd and whoever else because he was absolutely <laughs> shocking. Like he 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 looked like he'd never played centre back in his life, which which is fair because he probably hasn't. But you expect a professional footballer who's you know been around at the top top level for for fifteen years to to be able to deal with like simple passes and simple clearances and he was absolutely awful but uh, luckily Newcastle won't be signing him anytime soon so yeah I thought overall it was just one of them it, it felt like a dead rubber everybody knew it was a dead rubber um, and even though they went 1-0 up Man United I thought they, they almost were like well that was it like you know we'll, we'll, we'll win this now and they, they got very casual um, and not not uh, like the motivation dropped, I thought, um, and you've seen that with with the way they were giving the ball away sloppily, um, and then they conceded an absolute brilliant finish for the equaliser, and they never really looked like going back ahead, to be honest. So, um, yeah, poor poor way to end the, the group, but as Joel said, it's a dead rubber, and you know that's that's it. You you move on now, and you come back in February and and start the uh, the Champions League knockout stages, hopefully better than you finish the group stages. So. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange night, really. Going back to Mason Greenwood, I, I don't know if you've uh, had the chance to look at the goal yet, but that um, I, I, I'm struggling how to describe it because it's almost like an overhead scissor kick without going overhead and without doing the scissors. <laughs> he just seems to sort of like lie down and just kind of hook the ball. Um, it, I mean, it, this the, for, for people that haven't seen Mason Greenwood play a lot, Joel. Is this something that um, isn't surprising at all? It isn't at all. He's. I'll make a pretty bold statement to say that I feel as though Greenwood's ceiling is higher than Rashford's, and that's purely wow. because he has he has such a unique he has a unique ability. He's he's very very different to, and especially for a player at his age, he's twenty years old. And for me, he's the kind of player where if you're 1-0 down in a t- an incredibly tough match away from home and you bring him on, I feel as though he would win us the game. It's similar to the way in which Van Persie used to come on and I would feel as though he'd win us the game. Obviously, I'm not saying that Green was in this anywhere near the same class as Van Persie, but I'm saying he has that unique traits of 
he's, he's just so very good technically in terms of maneuvers inside the box and he's got really good close ball control he can shoot on his left as well as well as on his right like you would if you'd only watched him for one time you would wonder which is his strong foot and for a player of his age is is pretty ridiculous um obviously he's still very very young and i mean it could go either way still especially for a player at that age but for me, it's, it's no surprise, and obviously he's been out with COVID for a couple of weeks now. Uh, he's just getting back into the swing of things in the squad. But we we missed a player like him um, because he really does can he makes things happen uh, on a dime without much needing to happen around him, and that's something that you would expect for someone way more mature of of his age. Um, so I think he, he's got a huge piece in the puzzle for our side um but he just needs to it's just about consistency and obviously when you're that age it's quite difficult to maintain your consistency because you know his game's not finished and his game's not perfect by by a long means but um he's influencing games massively this season i think he's already got about four or five in the league so far um and that's with being in and out of the side especially in the last couple of weeks so for me it's is a case of he's picking up where he's left off and he's going to have a good long run in the side now, especially with his really busy fixture list coming up. And yeah, with that goal, it was quite a strange one actually. It looked like it all it almost gone, it had almost gone beyond him, um, and he kind of had to just bend his leg a little bit backwards to kind of scissor it. But it's 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 typical of him to be honest. He can really make things happen out of nothing, and that's a trait that you can't really teach. It's just something that's kind of born in you, I guess. Um, but no, he's he's going to be a massive player for us in the future, but he just needs time and a bit of consistency. I do remember at some point earlier this year, possibly last season, somebody saying that he kicks the ball harder than anybody else at Manchester United, which sounds like a real Marley stat. <laughs> just, <laughs> just I can imagine you having your own sort of range of tr- top trump cards. Um, so Man, Man, Man United finished four points clear. At the top of the group, that puts them through to the knockout stages. Uh, they're going to the seeded pot. The draw's been done on Monday morning, um, so that means uh, they're not going to play anybody who won the group, and they're not going to play any of the other English teams still in the draw. However, uh, the mouthwatering tie that they could come out of the pot is PSG, which could see Ronaldo going up against Messi. Who would you fancy for that one, Marlo? 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 <laughs> Uh, that that'd be a good game, wouldn't it? I mean, Man United have got positive memories of PSG with with what they did with Solskjaer um, in the group stage. Was it last uh, last year? So, yeah, I mean, any time you get to see Messi and Ronaldo play would be uh, is is a treat. Obviously, there's been both took a bit of stick this season, to be fair, but um, yeah, the, it's like Messi versus Ronaldo 2.0, isn't it? Because it's not not in Spain. It's both guys at different clubs. Um, and it'd be be interesting. So I I hope that one comes out. To be honest, because Man United can't, you know, um, can't draw that many teams. Like you know, as you said, most English teams won their group, didn't they? So um, they can't they can't get anybody that uh, that finished top, and they can't get anyone that finished uh, that that plays in England. So there's not that many teams out there. So PSG. Would be uh, would be the plum tie, I think, and uh, I hope that one comes out the draw on Monday morning. Mm. The irony being that uh, United could could get somebody like PSG after winning the group, and after drawing and coming runners up, uh, Chelsea could find themselves playing Lille 
although there is a high percentage chance that they'll get Real Madrid, Ajax or Bayern Munich as well. So uh, let's move on now and, and look at the Chelsea game. Uh, long journey to St. Petersburg and uh, they they went down to an early goal. They seemed to have pulled it back and then a bit of a rocket uh, sealing a draw in the last minute of injury time, about 96 minutes on the clock. And uh, that means that Chelsea finish up as runners up in the group. Uh, similar similar thing there. Not quite as many uh, debuts given um, in that game, but you did see the likes of uh, Kepa being back in goal. Uh, but I think possibly the most positive thing from a Chelsea point of view, Joel, is the fact that uh, we got uh, Lukaku back and scoring and two goals for Timo Werner as well. Yeah, I was going to say, it's quite a shame that it was probably Timo Werner's best game in a Chelsea shirt and he's still letting down, despite the fact he managed to actually find the net this time. Um, but yeah, it was. this is something that I've been expecting from Chelsea, especially in these last two weeks where they've been really grinding out results. Um, it all started when, obviously, they drew to Manchester United at home, which you know they weren't incredible in, to be honest. And then, obviously, they just squeezed past Watford 2-1 then lost to West Ham and then obviously now 3-3 against Zenit, which has dropped them second into the group. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a strange one for me, but I kind of expected it. They're going through the period that I think most clubs end up going through in the season, but it's not the best time to have it because you don't really have time to reflect and recover because you've got a game pretty much the next two days after. So you've got to really start just gaining the momentum again. Um, but this game... It was a game that they really should have been winning and they had so much control of it for good periods of the game, um, especially when Werner scored in the 85th minute. I mean, I don't understand how... Well, to be fair, Zenit's, um, Zenit's third equaliser was ridiculous. Mm. I mean, if, if anyone's not seen it, it was like a absolute bullet <laughs> in the last minute, which, which you know... You could probably say it was deserved for Zenit because they did play really well, especially for large portion, portions of that first half. Um, but no, they've just, Chelsea have really shot themselves in the foot considering it was only two weeks ago that they beat Juventus 4-0 at home, um, which you would have thought was the result that kind of sealed the deal for them in the league, uh, sorry, in the group stage. Uh, but I, th I feel as though it's just been coming for Chelsea and it's just come at the wrong time, this kind of purple patch of form. Despite the fact that Lukaku's back and Werner had a really good game, um, there's just something not ticking right at the moment for Chelsea. And I think it's mainly the fact that Jorginho and Kante are in and out of the side. And I think that's really affecting them in that midfield because now, obviously, I think last um, last night they had to play Ross Barkley, Rhys James and Saul, who hasn't had a really easy start to his Chelsea career. So having Jorginho out, who obviously finished third in the in the uh, Ballon d'Or not saying he's the third best by any stretch but I mean he's, he's had his best season of his career and obviously Kante is probably still one of the top five midfielders in the world any team who loses those two kind of midfielders are always I think going to suffer and I think they are getting pretty beaten in that midfield at the moment um, but of course last night they were missing their two main defenders which was Rudiger and Thiago Silva um, and I think they paid the price for that big time so I think Tuchel shot himself in the foot and I'm not quite sure why he felt the need to rest those guys when, um, you know, the first place was at stake. Interesting point there that, that Joel raises, Marley. Do you think that we're actually sort of moving away from that more now in terms of having sort of 
one or two superstar players that hold it together because we're moving to you know bigger and bigger squads the likes of Man City and Liverpool uh, where they can bring these different players on the depth of squad that we're looking at um is it so important is is that the kind of thing that we're moving towards or do you think that's something that is only sort of applicable to the the bigger clubs with the bigger budgets like yourself um <laughs> Or, or, or is it still going to be that you know that it's just the nature of football? We're always going to see there's going to be one or two players on a pitch that that dominate and dictate a game. Um, I always think there's even if you have a team of superstars like one to eleven, I always think there's there's always one or two there where where if you take them out, you, you struggle without them. Like you see Man City at, at times in the past few years without De Bruyne, like he he is one of 11 world-class players in that City team. Um, but he's, his his loss is huge when, when he is out. So you have to learn, you always have to learn how to play and to win without your best players. Um, and Chelsea, I think, are just finding that out at the minute. Like, the Jorginho and Kante are, are such, like, specialists at what they do. Like, Jorginho will have the ball anywhere and he'll, he'll touch the ball, like, over 100 times a game, you know. He's, uh, he's, passing and his sort of metronomical style is everything goes through him um at some point and he he starts every every move pretty much so taking that out is is quite a big sort of culture shock because you're putting in Ross Barkley who's pl- probably playing out of position um and certainly isn't the same uh type of player as, as someone like Jorginho and then you got Kante alongside him usually who's out as well and I don't think there's another player in the world who who plays football like Angola Kante does. So I think anybody's uh, anybody any team's going to struggle um, with when you take those types of players out of the team. And I think Chelsea are, are doing that at the minute. But I said on yesterday's podcast, if you're going to have a wobble, have a wobble in the Champions League when you're already through uh, to the to the groups uh, to the knockout stages. Doesn't really matter if you don't win the group or. Um, if or not, because you know you're the you're the European champions at the end of the day, so everyone's got to be trying to avoid you rather than you saying, "Oh well, we came second, and I, I wish we'd have come third uh, first because we had an easier group." So um, that old cliche, isn't it? You got to beat everyone at some point. So Chelsea shouldn't be scared because once uh, February rolls around, Jorginho will be back, Kante will be back, um, they'll still be in the title race, and uh, they'll be full of confidence again. Yeah, just picking up on uh, what Joel said about Jorginho and where he finished in the Ballon d'Or, I'm not really sure we should use that as a scale, seeing as they put Salah at seventh. <laughs> I agree <laughs> with that, it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so, uh, just a quick mention um, to one story that's got the headlines in the Champions League from last night, and that is Barcelona not only going down 3-0 to Bayern Munich, but going out of the Champions League. Uh, they're going to the Europa League, which we'll cover in, in a moment or two in the next section. Uh, but this is the the last time they didn't make it to the knockout stages was 2003, 2004. But I think the other implication here with this is we know that they're not in great financial form at the minute as a club. I mean, this is really going to hurt them, isn't it, Joel? They're in their, what I would say, their banter era now, um, where... You know, at least in 2003, 2004, they just signed Ronaldinho, I think. And this was like the start of the rise of their kind of, as we know, they went on to win everything pretty much and dominate Europe. Um, but now there's not a great outlook at all because, you know, I think the 
obviously the most obvious part of the the project that's missing is Messi. Um, and I think he's papered over the cracks massively over the last two years. Um, this isn't just like a random bad spell of form for Barcelona. It's been going on for a couple of years now. Um, but obviously Messi's been getting his typical 40, 50 goals every year. Um, which has pretty much kept them in where they've been in the league in terms of those false challenges with Real Madrid, which, in all honesty, they didn't deserve to be there for half of, for half of the time. Um, and now they're really they're in a difficult stage. And I always worried. For, well, I didn't worry for them because they kind of deserve it after <laughs> how much they've dominated. But um, I always kind of was cautious with how they would be after losing such a player like Messi. Because he is literally, he was literally the glue in that in that Barcelona side. And if you look at over in uh, Madrid, they lost a player as good as Messi in Ronaldo. The only difference is that they've had a number of players who've stepped up to the plate now. In terms of Benzema, who's really looking like fine wine at the moment in terms of his numbers. Um, but Barcelona just don't have that player at the moment. They're, they're relying on the the youth like Ansu Fati and. Um, you know, De Jong and these guys who've got a lot of responsibility now where they were it, before they were kind of hiding in the shadows. So for Barcelona, it's it's going to be a tough road ahead now. It's, it's funny because, you know, for the likes of United and Arsenal, when they lose a manager after 20 odd years, this is kind of like Barcelona's version of it, except they're losing a player of that caliber. Um, so it's a, they've got a huge tricky road ahead and Barcelona being in Europa League, kind of just says everything you need to know doesn't it really about what stage they are at in terms of their their level and their status which i think is gonna be a long road ahead to try and recover to what they were so barcelona drop into the europa league and we'll look at some europa league action uh, with leicester in action tonight next Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily. My name is Ant McGinley, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson alongside me. Uh, more European football ahead, although not as much as we were hoping for because uh, reports just coming out this morning that the game that Tottenham had lined up has been called off. Um, yes, they've got eight players out um, due to COVID. Reports that it could be even more. And Sunday's game against Brighton is in doubt now this comes as uh, new rules are rolling out in england which means that fans are going to have to bring proof of vaccination or negative tests uh, when they go to football games and it's also potentially affecting leicester who uh, go to napoli tonight despite suffering um, seven players out with covid marley we thought we'd put all this behind us um does this mean that we could be seeing ourselves moving back to not just more restrictions, but that dreaded period that we went through of closed games and no fans? Yeah, maybe. Um, <clears throat> I think with with yesterday's announcements and, and things, um, it was a pretty, pretty hectic day in politics, to be fair, yesterday. Um, but this, this, this um, vaccine passports type thing... Um, I expected it to come in at some point anyway, um, because it just makes sense. Why would you? Why would you not sort of demand proof that somebody's not going to fall ill and die at a football match and also spread the uh, spread the virus? So uh, I'm not really surprised that that that's sort of coming in. Um, what obviously I'm like anyone else. I don't really want to see us go back to no uh, no fans in stadiums. 
but we did see that with uh, with Bayern against Barcelona last night, didn't we? In in Germany, mm. um, <clears throat> and Germany do seem to to have a better handle on the whole COVID pandemic than than the UK does. <clears throat> so they're they're ahead of us um, in in that sort of race. So if you look if you look at them, you're thinking if in a month's time, you know, in January sort of thing, are football fans going to be allowed? back into stadiums and, and carry on going because that could have a massive effect on the season. Um, the likes of, you know, home support not being there is is a huge factor. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's it's almost, it's bigger than football, isn't it? It's it's something where you're trying to keep people safe. Um, I'm, I don't like it, um, but it does feel as though it's, it's moving that way again. Um and yeah, this this whole sort of situation's carrying on again, and not not seeming to go anywhere. Uh, there's a lot of fixture congestion as it is as well, and uh, there's going to be more for Spurs uh, with potentially uh, this game being postponed, and also um, the game on Sunday against Brighton being at risk. However, Leicester have gone ahead. Uh, they've got a combination of just players feeling unwell as well as COVID tests. They currently sit on top of Group C. It's the final game. Uh, but they need to win to guarantee going through, um, really, um, because uh, they're only two points ahead of uh, Legia Warsaw, who are at the bottom, and Napoli and Spartak Moscow are both on seven points. So even a draw could not be enough for them. Uh, Brendan Rodgers is somebody who's been linked uh, a lot to the full-time job at Old Trafford, but this season it's not been going brilliantly for them in the Premier League, it's a difficult game at the best of times to travel to Napoli, uh, especially missing players. Uh, this would be a great boost to Leicester if they could uh, get through to the knockout stages. Or would that actually get in the way with having that extra game going out throughout the rest of the season, Joel? Yeah, well, I think for for a side like Leicester and a club like Leicester, you kind of have to think, well, what's our aims in the Premier League this season now? Because they're definitely miles off what they were last year in terms of how consistent they were, how well they played. Um, but obviously, with the Europa League now, the, Napoli is probably one of the toughest uh, toughest places to go in Europe. They've not lost at home this season at all. Uh, but they do catch them at a good time. I think Napoli have only won one of the last six games um, in all competitions. But on the flip side, Leicester are missing seven players, so... Um, it could be a very evenly balanced game, but it's a strange group that one with you know Legia Warsaw in fourth still being able to win the group and Leicester in first still being able to finish last in the group. Um, so it's it's a very tricky one, but I mean this is the only I'm sure if you ask the Leicester fans, being in Europe, they should not take for granted that because you know only six seven years ago they were a team that were fighting relegation. So to be on a trip, you know, to Napoli, a really historic European club, an amazing ground, it's such a great opportunity, in my opinion. And in the next round, if they do get through, they could end up facing the likes of Barcelona, Dortmund, Porto. I, th- this this year in Europa League is probably one of the most competitive it's been in years, maybe if ever, to be honest. I don't remember a season which has had such high-quality teams dropping down into the competition, but... I think tonight is a very, very pivotal need for a win just because if they finish second, 
they're going to end up facing the likes of Barcelona, Dortmund, uh, pretty much most of the Champions League teams that drop down alongside Villarreal because we know Unai Emery likes to win that competition so much. Um, it's, so it's, it's a tricky one for Leicester and I don't really see them going through just because of how dominant Napoli are at home um, and how pretty poor Leicester have been in recent weeks the consistency has been all over the place um, and I'm not quite sure why Brendan Rodgers even was linked with the United job because for me he's 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 he's, he's at his level in my opinion he's at the right club which he can develop and I, I think United would be a, te- a, a step too far for him um, as we're seeing now it's an important time that he gets out of this tricky period with Leicester because I think they're missing so many big players at the moment especially Wesley Fofana Um but no, I, I don't really see a good outcome for Leicester tonight. It'll be a very, very big ask. Well, just to, to sort of bat for Leicester for a second, nobody saw them win in the Premier League, which they have won more recently than United. And also Brendan Rodgers has won the FA Cup more recently than United has as well. Um, so let's let's uh, move on from that. No comment, Joel? I'm just going to stay quiet. I'm biting my lip. <laughs> uh, I just want to talk about the the possible implications here in terms of the deadline. So if, if the game is going to be rearranged for the Tottenham game, which is off, the deadline is New Year's Eve. But there's not a lot of time to fit in a game for for Tottenham in between now and then, especially if this illness goes on. So th- they've got the, the Brighton game, which at the minute is up in the air. Uh, they're going to play Leicester on the 16th of December, Liverpool on the 19th of December, and then they've got the quarterfinal in the Carabao Cup against West Ham on the 22nd of December. Then we're into Christmas, Boxing Day. There's not a lot of time or opportunity uh, to fit that game in. Um, is this just the world that we live in now, Marley? That is just, you know, it, the whole league is built up it's just trying to get in as much football as possible so we don't have much wiggle room when things go wrong yeah pretty much um you know you don't have to go far to tell people you know to find somebody some football manager saying you know the players are are burnt out and stuff and we we have we have too much football and and all the rest of it but um the way the way it looks it looks like the game's is the game off it has it has been called off hasn't it yeah, the, 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 the European game's been called off yeah. and it looks like the Brighton game's going to be off as well, potentially. Yeah, I mean, who they were meant to play Ren, wasn't it? It was uh, mm. Stad Rene in, in the final game, but I, it, I would... See, normally I'd be like, you know, just bin it off. <laughs> you know, nobody nobody really cares about it anyway. Um, why not just bin it off? But, you know, it... If that can't happen because there's 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 stuff riding on this game. I mean, Spurs need to to win that game and hope Vitesse. Um, well, they need to win it to to go through in second because Vitesse are on level points with them. So there's a lot riding on this. It's not like you can uh, you can just ignore it. If it was Tottenham versus like Tottenham in in top and already through against Mura who were bottom, you know, it's not a you could you could you could just chuck that game out and say it doesn't matter what what happened anyway. But there is something riding on it, so. It has gonna. It is gonna be have to be played at some point, um, and looking at uh, the way everything's backing itself up, you've got you know so many games twice a week anyway. So at one point you're gonna have to play something like three games in six or seven days, and you're gonna look at Tottenham sending a 
uh, a very youthful or fringe or reserve side to play Ren because that's the only only way around it. I I would think I, I wouldn't think Conte is gonna say we really want to win this competition, so we're gonna play our weakened team in the Premier League, and then on the Thursday we're gonna go strong against against Ren and make sure we get through to the European Conference League quarterfinals or round of sixteen or whatever it might be. So. Um, it's a tough situation. I don't really know how it how it plays out, but it's certainly not to uh, to Spurs' advantage because of this breakout. Mm. And they're in such good form at the minute. Three wins in a row in the Premier League, just in terms of momentum, I'm sure that uh, they would like to have played that game. Although Conte, as uh, I think you saw the, the press conference with him, Joel, as well, he just said, you know, he's wants to take precautions for him and his family as well and obviously they've closed the first team training centre and uh, like like anybody with, with this uh, illness nobody wants to get it so um, just be aware if you are heading to games uh, this weekend uh, the new rules in England will affect you so you'll probably have to provide either a, a neg- evidence of a negative test or um, proof of vaccination Uh, that's it for that section Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to have a look at some of the transfer gossip as we're just a few weeks away from uh, Mahali buying lots of shirts with new names on as uh, Newcastle dive in to the market with their gazillions it's the Football Social Daily. Thank you for sticking with us. Marley Anderson, a Newcastle fan. Joel Tudor, Man United fan. And me, long-suffering, hard-fought Man City fan, Ant McGinley. Uh, thank you very much for, for joining us. And we're just taking a quick look at uh, some of the transfer gossip that's gone around. And an interesting story that caught my eye. Um, in the week that, well, it's just a few days since Everton sacked their sporting director... Uh, part of the reason behind that, as we understand, is the lack of return on the three hundred million pounds worth of signings that they brought in. Uh, about twenty-two players, um, only two of which have seemed to have made an impact. One of whom uh, was the cheapest in Damari Gray. Uh, but yes, so it, they've also announced they're going to have some kind of root and branch uh, investigation into how the clubs run and are moving forward so they can spend money more wisely. And then this morning they're being linked to Aaron Ramsey, which I thought, mm, I'm not sure that's uh, the right move. However, he has also been linked um, to Newcastle United as well. He suffered a lot from uh, injuries in recent seasons. It's not really worked for him at Juventus. He had a great record at Arsenal, but is he really the type of player that can come back and do a job in the Premier League, Marley? Especially as he could be going to St. James's. Yeah, I, I think he is. I think he's uh, the the shoe-in signing that is out there, really. Um, he's got experience. He's got a point to prove, I think, um, coming back to England after a couple of years in in Turin, where it hasn't really gone the way he'd 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 have fancied it it has actually gone the way many people thought it would because I'm not sure Aaron Ramsey ever was big enough for Juventus but the opportunity came along and he was never going to turn it down so I think his um his injury record's been a little bit worrisome but there's still a, a quality player in there I think um we we see it for Wills um we've seen it with Arsenal for for many years he was one of the more consistent performers and he was one of the best players at Arsenal when he left Arsenal um because I remember a lot of people were saying can't believe we're letting this guy go. Can't believe we've let his contract run down uh, to the point where he can just leave the club and go wherever he wants. Because he was a he was a, a real 
playmaker and talisman for Arsenal and I I hope he can be that player again uh, especially if he comes to Newcastle because I think he'd be a, a really good signing for, for us or if Everton get him I think he'd, he'd, he'd walk in that Everton team um, and provide goals from midfield um, and enough sort of like enough of, a, of an experience um, enough of a mix of experience and talent to really take Everton on a little bit more if you played him alongside Takure and Allen in midfield I think that's a really combative um, experienced and physical midfield that you've got there that can get you a few goals as well as uh, as well as do the job uh, in the middle of the park with the three of them so I think that's a really good signing whoever gets him really but as long as he comes away from Juventus because I think he's, his time's done there uh, I'd quite like to see him mm. back in the Premier League whether that's it Newcastle or not now it may not come down to the fact that Newcastle have got a lot of money because there's reports coming out of Italy that's saying that a divorce might be the best solution because um, they they really want to get him off the wage bill. He's one of the highest paid players at the club, and so they're actually willing uh, to leave, let him leave for free, um, so they can just remove his wage bill uh, from that. Um, I mean, what about you, Joel? I mean, United could do with another attacking midfielder, couldn't they? <laughs> Yeah, but not Aaron Ramsey, <laughs> bloody hell. <laughs> I, mean, no, uh, how, how, I think you're talking about the wrong United. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, what kind of formation are you going to play there? Like a a, a one a one nine one, <laughs> yeah, four three three with him on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, he's uh, it's not really worked for him. I mean, I I the the romantic in me still has this thing that in January we're going to see. Uh, wreck some swoop for both Gareth Bale and Darren Ramsey <laughs> and bring them back. That would be that would be glorious. Um, another ex Premier League star that looks like he he he's available and again has been linked to the Magpies is Georgie Wijnaldum. Uh, would you fancy him, um, <laughs> Joel? <laughs> player at United. I don't want any of these recommendations. You're City fan trying to sabotage me. Um, it's worked so far in the past. It worked with, <laughs> worked with Sanchez. You know. Ah, yeah. Anytime City are interested, United sometimes just push this big red button that says sign. Um, but no, you know what? Why? It's, it's a strange situation for Wijnaldum in PSG because obviously a Liverpool. Um, during his final season, he was probably yeah he was one of the best midfielders in the league by a mile. Um, and I don't know what the situation was with letting him go. I think it was in terms of him wanting to be one of the better play, better pe- better played, better paid players um, at the club alongside you know the likes of Salah and Mane, and you know rightly so because he was a, a cog in that side, one of the one of the most important players for them. But it's been a pretty common theme, hasn't it, with these big Liverpool players leaving under Klopp? You know the likes of Coutinho. Um, he went to Barcelona and he's pretty much just tanked since um, Wijnaldum's gone to Paris Saint-Germain and he's not really getting much of a look in under Pochettino. seems to be going uh, more with like that uh, Ghana Gay and Danilo pivot, which it seems to be working for him, but obviously a lot of Paris Saint-Germain fans are not impressed with how their team is setting up at the moment. So it's quite, it's quite a strange one. I don't believe he would drop down to Newcastle after playing at such a high level for both Whoa, Liverpool and oh, PSG. Double dig. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe not now. In two years when he's like 35, he might consider it. But um, it, yeah, obviously, if, if Newcastle can manage to pull that one off, I mean, that'd be one of their purchases of the last 10 years, wouldn't it, really? 
because um, he's still I don't, playing I don't think they've amazing. purchased anybody in 10 years really <laughs> <laughs> well lo- maybe loan loan and loany of the year um, he's still playing at a really high level but I feel as though he wouldn't choose to go there um, but you know with Wijnaldum's decisions I mean he had the option of Barcelona and Paris Saint-Germain mm. so it was both going crap either way <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't think Newcastle's the next step for him because he's still I'll, he's still I'll, a good level. A lot of shade being thrown in your direction there, Marley. <laughs> but actually, there's a good there's a good point behind it, you know, because uh, for all the money that they've got, you, you know, you, you look at the record. It's just still that one win this season. You're in re- a really difficult position. Of course, you know the optimist is there's an opportunity for players to come in there and become heroes by you know pulling them out of this relegation battle and then moving forward but you know I suppose you know people will throw around the accusation of being mercenary those kinds of things you know apart from apart from the money and the dedicated fan support you know is is there enough there at Newcastle especially in the short term to offer to a player like Wijnaldum or Ramsey that are coming towards the end of their career Uh, I think it all depends on the player Um, it depends on what they want from their career I think Ramsey wants regular football, it would seem. Um, he wants to try and get Wales to the World Cup. He wants to um, be be a regular at a higher level, I think. So it depends. Like I think if we were in the summer and everyone was starting from scratch, I think these two players would be, um, would be 100% gettable for Newcastle because you could be like, look, we're building a team. We want you to be part of it. Um, and it's as simple as that because you all start level and the players would be thinking, well, you know, um, this team could could easily get top eight next season and, and that suits what I want to do um, and, and all the rest of it. But because we're talking about January and we're, we're second bottom of the league and have won one game all season, it becomes a, a, a trickier thing of even though you could uh, you could get more money probably, um, you know, you could, you could also get relegated. You have to put in a... A relegation release clause in your contract. Who's going to sign you if if you do go down, and then you get uh, somebody meets that clause? What type of club is going to come and buy you and rescue you back, sort of thing? Um, so I can I can see the sort of both sides of this. Like normally, you would never link Ginny Wijnaldum with with a team that's nineteenth in the Premier League, but he has been there before, um, and he knows what it's like to play for Newcastle. He he, could, he knows the. Uh, He's actually been relegated once with us. <laughs> Which well, is lightning does strike you know, twice. You talk about careers going full circle. I think he got fourteen goals in in our team uh, that went down um, <laughs> before he went to Liverpool. So at the end of the day, like if you, if you're thinking thinking back to that, he got rescued by a team and ended up going and winning the league and the Champions League a couple of years later. So it's not like you can't shine in in a team that that isn't that good, you know what I mean? So, I don't know, it just depends on what Wijnaldum wants. I, I don't know where his head's at in his career. He's probably thinking every day, I probably should have gone to Barcelona because, you know, I, I'm, I'm not playing at PSG. At least I'd be playing at Barcelona um, if I'd gone in the summer. But it, it just depends on what the players want. I, I, I can't provide any insight into how they think um, at this stage of the career with them both being, you know, in their early 30s and, and wanting and needing a new challenge. Mate, you're talking about Barcelona like the big thing. They're at the Champions League. They're going down. Newcastle star is rising. Uh, speaking of Barcelona, uh, rumours linking them uh, to a couple of Chelsea players, Hakim Ziyech and uh, Timo Werner. 
Um, although that does raise an interesting question. Uh, they want to bring them in on loan in January. Uh, now that Barca are out of the Champions League, would they still be cup-tied for the Europa League? I don't think they would. No, they wouldn't. Um, no. so, so, yeah, so there's some, some potential uh, viability uh, to, to that as a move for those players. But we'll keep an eye on that one as we move closer to the transfer window. We're going to call it there. Uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, for the Football Social Daily. And uh, you can shake hands and make up again now, please, boys. Uh, Joel Trudeau of Manchester United, laying it on thick. Uh, Tamali Anderson of Newcastle United. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Uh, he only, he, I, I like he's only getting that, brave there because uh, we, we're not going to see each other in the office for a while now. So, <laughs> getting awfully brave. Yeah. He's, he's going to Iceland. That's how brave he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is this your honeymoon trip that you're on on off for? Uh, uh, it's just a little a mini break sort of thing, last minute thing, which has ended up costing me an absolute ton in in tests. Newcastle funded. <laughs> yeah. Well, wherever you are, Marley, you will still be able to listen to this podcast every single day. Uh, give us a follow, and you'll get the next episode in your inbox, which will be tomorrow. See you then. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.